there has to be a middle ground. And when I found real estate, it was just all the light bulbs going off of this is the middle ground. Like I can bust my butt when I am in work mode and when I am in Denver and really grind and have this unlimited potential of income. But when I do want to leave and check out, I can do that and I have the freedom to do that. And so it really has just so far been everything I wanted it to be and more. Okay, welcome to the Stealth Wealth Podcast. Today, we have Kim Johnson on our podcast. She is a local here in Denver. She's a real estate investor herself, but she is a realtor as well who specializes in wholesaling. And we'll get into all the nitty gritties of all of that during this podcast. But Kim, why don't you just introduce us and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hey guys, thanks for having me. You covered most of the stuff with my investing. I moved to Denver about two years ago and that's when I started wholesaling full time. Within about six months, I bought my first property in Denver. It was a side-by-side duplex that I am house hacking. So did a full gut renovation of both sides and then moved into one side and I midterm rent the other side. So that's my gist on investing. And now I'm just still wholesaling, saving up and hoping to buy my next property this year. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So what brought you out to Denver and were you in the real estate world before then, or did you jump in when you got out here? Yeah, so I studied real estate in college and I got super into bigger pockets, all that good stuff, realized that real estate is definitely what I wanted to do. But I was actually in Australia when the pandemic hit. I was playing water polo out there and I was just taking a gap year doing that. And then when the pandemic hit, I landed back in my parents' house in California where I swore I would never live again. And I just realized, oh shoot, okay, this pandemic's not going anywhere. I'm not going back to Australia. So I guess now is a good time to get into real estate, but I was in the most expensive market in the US. So I was like, okay, I gotta get out of here. I gotta find somewhere else that I wanna go and I wanna live. And I just randomly pointed on a map and decided on Denver. I didn't really know too many people out here, but I'd heard it was a good real estate market. It seemed like a good fit for me personally. So I just up and made the move. There you go. Yeah, you chose the very inexpensive market of Denver, Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) I know, relative to the Bay Area, it did seem that way, but Coloradans don't like it when I say that. (laughs) All you damn Californians (laughs) moving to Colorado, making it seem like it's not expensive, but... I know. I gotta love it. Whenever I work with a client from California, I'm just like, oh, this is great. I don't have to try to schmooze you and tell you that it's worth the money here or anything like that. They're like, oh, yeah, 650 grand. Let's go. That's nothing. (laughs) Yeah, that gets you like a condo in my hometown, which is ridiculous. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my brothers outside of or in San Jose now lived in downtown San Francisco for three years, and it was just. I think he bought his first condo, and it was like just under a million, (laughs) and that was like six years ago. (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, that's before the market went crazy hot from COVID. So yeah, it probably appreciated quite well for him. Yeah, I can only imagine the equity that he's sitting on now. Well, he ended up selling it a couple of years ago because he moved out and, you know, 
the rental market there is not very favorable for landlords. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that too. Many reasons why I got out of California yeah. for my investing. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, we uh, went off on a tangent there. But as far <laughs> as you being a realtor, I know we're both realtors here, but we're both in very different landscape. I'm more on the retail side and working with investors on that side. So what exactly is it that you do? I know touched on it a little bit, but just for our listeners who may not understand it, what is wholesaling and how do you differentiate yourself there as a realtor? Yeah. So the bare, bare bones of wholesaling is just that you go out and you find a deal and you try to get it for less than what an investor would be willing to pay for it. And essentially you go out, you contract that deal, and then you sell it to an investor and you tack on a finder's fee. And so you sell it to them for more than you bought it for, and you're just getting paid for the time that it took you to go secure that deal. So the kind of standard way to do it, I would say the way most people do it is via an assignable contract. How my company does it is we double close. So we actually do buy the deal ourselves and then we just resell it same day, essentially. But that's the bare, bare bones of it. It can come in really handy for investors who don't know how to find their own deals, or maybe they are only finding their deals on market and wholesalers can expose them to more deals that they're not seeing off. Or just finding off market deals is very time consuming. It's taxing. It's not easy for investors who know how to do it, but just don't want to, then wholesalers can come in handy there. So that's where the value is finding those deals for investors that for whatever reason, they don't want to or can't find themselves. And finding the deals, is there certain tools or software? Or is it just through the network that you've built here? What is your best way and your value add as an agent finding these deals and then selling them off to investors? How are you finding them? Yeah, so there's a ton of different ways to find them. And I'm doing it through a company. And I knew what wholesaling was before I got into real estate and before I started in Denver. And I didn't realize that there were companies out there that could essentially hire you to do it. And so it's really cool. The way that my company works is that they are a brokerage. So everyone there is licensed and we hang our licenses there, but we only use our licenses to wholesale. And so all of the training in the brokerage is specifically on how to do that. And that was so valuable for me, especially moving here and not really knowing anyone. I didn't really have any friends. I could have gone out and wholesaled on my own, but I wouldn't have had coworkers. I wouldn't have had a manager. I wouldn't have had that environment. And and I was really looking for that. And so this was just the best of both worlds for me. I could have all of that, make friends and Now my coworkers are some of my best friends here. So I'm really thankful for that. And it got me off and running a lot sooner as I was trained in how to do all of this very quickly. And it helped me get a much quicker start than I likely would have gotten if I was just self-taught. And Mm -hmm. so part of that training is just all of the different ways that you can find deals off market. And as you're going through it, you can just figure out, okay, I've been taught how to do all these different methods. Now, which ones do I like? Which ones am I good at? And you can double down on those. So that's anything from driving for dollars. You know, that's a really common one to get off markets. You drive around the neighborhoods, look for distressed properties, and then reach out to those sellers. 
We do mailing campaigns as well, which is just if you have a certain zip code or a certain demographic or anything like that you're trying to target, you can mass send letters to those people asking if they want to sell. You can even just door knock, knock on doors. My personal favorite is my, I have really spent my two years building my network here in Denver. And it's been so valuable for me as an investor, but also really valuable to my wholesaling business. So I get a lot of pocket listings is definitely the main one. I have a lot of agents that I've met over the years who essentially, I just tell them, if you ever get a listing that is really distressed and for whatever reason, it might be a pain to put on the market. If it's just too run down or it's hoarded or it has meth in it or <laughs> whatever it is, difficult tenants, things like that, I would love a call and be able to just see if I can get you a cash offer and make it easy. And so just the convenience to the agents is sometimes make it makes it worth it. And so I have a lot of agents bringing me those types of listings when they get them. You can also reach out to attorneys, like estate attorneys, estate sale companies, things like that. Those are really commonly the grandma's houses that a lot of investors are looking for. So there's so many different ways to find these. Yeah. I personally love just leveraging my network. It essentially just, it allows it to be a little more passive for me. And I just get to do deals with the friends I'm making along the way. And who doesn't want to do that? That's awesome. Yeah. So this is a question that I've had as well. Cause yeah, you, as you mentioned that you have your license as well as a realtor, but I think that most people in the space and most wholesalers that we all know about aren't, aren't realtors. They're not in the space. They're not, they're just regular people locking these things up and hoping to sell them on the back end. So what is the, are there pros, cons? What is the differentiating factor for having your license as that wholesaler? Yeah, I would say the main con is just the credibility. I feel like if you are approaching these sellers and investors and things like that, and you have just the basic credential of being a licensed agent, they tend to take you a little more seriously. They also tend to be more trusting of you, I think, instead of just being, like you said, some random person off the street. And so I think that helps. The con, I would say, is just that you you do have certain legal requirements with having your mm -hmm. license. So now I'm held to certain things that non-licensed people are not held to. I would argue at the end of the day, a lot of those things are just ethical things that I probably yeah. wouldn't <laughs> mess with anyway. As long as you're a moral person, that usually doesn't really affect you that much. But yeah. those, by technicality, there are some legal things that you have to make sure you're adhering to as a licensed agent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you're ethically buying meth houses. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> hey, she's, yeah. They're rehabbing them, making them livable again. Yeah. That's one thing I don't think Someone's I want to touch is meth it. houses, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a few too many times in my two years that I've gone into a house and after been like, turns out there's meth in there. And I was like, all yeah. right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love to find that out. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you've seen some pretty crazy like houses, pretty crazy deal. What is, I want to know like the coolest deal that you did, either a big flip or, or is a lot of it just distress? I have no idea because I don't really look at distressed properties in my work. It's usually ready to move in or somewhat ready to move in with small inspection items. And I don't know like the length that investors will go to when it comes to wholesaling. 
Oh, gosh. Yeah, we do get the full spectrum. Everything we do needs some work. There's not, we can't really bring a whole lot of value if it's turnkey. Usually it just doesn't make sense to go through a wholesaler if you're buying that type of property. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everything we get, it's not necessarily distressed, but it needs work. And typically more work than the average retail homeowner would be willing to put in. And that's where we can really bring value in. And so, yeah, I definitely have seen some things. There's some <laughs> houses you can never unsmell. That's my um, flip right now, honestly. I've, oh. I'm under contract on one. And every time I go in there, I'm just like, it just gets worse every single time. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, the ones that are just the combo of cat pee and, yep. and cigarette smoke and garbage. And yep. it's all just... Yeah, bad. I've been in some doozies for sure. I would say the coolest one I did was probably the triplex that I sold to Tyler and Zosha, the, their two local investors. And it was originally a like tri-level mid-moddy house in Barnum that someone had turned into kind of a Frankenstein triplex where each level was its own unit. And so it was really funky, but it's a cool property. It's got these insane views of downtown there. And because it's mid body, it's a cool style. And they actually bought that one from me sight unseen, which was oh. wild. But it was one of those situations where we didn't have really great access. And I just told them if they wait for us to get access, totally understand. Good with me. But just if they wait everyone else is waiting too. So you're just going to have the competition of everyone else who shows up to that showing. And if you want to do that, totally understand. But if you want to just buy it now before the showing, you can do that too. And they decided to just take the leap. They didn't want to worry about competing with anyone else. And so, yeah, they just bought it sight unseen. They'd like walk the perimeter and that's about it. And just with like all the luck in the world found all this extra space once we got inside that was this like shared laundry space and they ended up turning that into another unit and so that was really cool it's now a quadplex that they just crushed they just finished the renovation they're going to midterm rent yeah. all four units and yeah just hit that out of the park that one also had this whole saga where they found like this really creepy <laughs> bunker room yep. in the crawl space which was a whole thing it's yeah so like everything about that house has just been a wild ride but they're gonna they're doing really well in it they're gonna crush it but yeah it was entertaining along the way for sure that's awesome yeah yeah i've seen that one around and yeah i know tyler and zosha as well very well i've heard that one quite a bit oh, yeah, yeah. that one just never ended <laughs> oh, yeah just something new kept coming up and it was like oh cool cool all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's real estate though you just roll with the punches like things come at you and you just you find a new bunker room and then you just make you the best of it right yeah maybe they could have made it a fifth unit <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what's, well, a, no, that was more what's a standard binder fee let's talk about that one specifically like for yeah. you you guys have your company's finder fee but like in wholesaling in general do you have a good idea of what a finder fee would typically cost like percentage wise it really totally depends in our company even. One thing that we do that most wholesalers will not is pay 
all closing costs. And with that, we're going to factor that into our fee because some of our fee is getting eaten up by the fact that we're paying closing costs. So that's something that we do. And yeah, but every fee is going to be a little bit different depending on the property. I would say for someone just assigning a contract, like a 10K fee, 10 to 15K is pretty standard. But yeah, you know, I've heard of people, you know, tacking on 200K, which is crazy, but (laughs) there's people who have done it. um, Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, unfortunately, but at the end of the day, yeah, all it matters is, yeah, how low you get it locked up for and what investors are willing to pay. Exactly. Basically just get that difference. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And at the end of the day, you want to help everyone involved. And so it's got to still be a good deal for the end investor. You don't want to be absolutely robbing the seller just again, ethically. And so it's always a balance. But yeah, I would say the most standards probably somewhere around 10 to 20 for your time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've covered your wholesaling side quite a bit, but as far as your personal investments right now, I know you have the duplex and I I met you when I think you'd like just closed on that (laughs) and was starting to renovate it and everything. Yeah. yeah. So how, and you said you were medium term renting the other side and you're living in the other side, correct? Yes, correct. Perfect. And so is that your current, your only investment or do you have any other things in your portfolio or... Yeah, yeah. This is all I have right now. It's I bought it six months in, but it's been a whole process of when I bought it, there was a tenant in one side. And so I immediately started renovating the other side. And then I got it all up and ready on Airbnb. And then about a month after that was all up and good to go, the other side became vacated. And so I started renovating that side. And then I just moved into it a few months ago. And even though I bought it so long ago, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like really just now finishing it. And I'm finally, for the most part done, there's still little cosmetic things that I'm tweaking here and there on my side. But yeah, and it's been a saga that I'm very happy is like finally just up and running itself. And I yeah. have a roommate on my side too as well. Well, so that's been really good. And now I'm getting just that additional income there to cover the mortgage and then some, which is always nice. And yep. yeah, now we're like finally getting to the point where we're looking again. I also am just now starting to file my taxes for my second year being 1099. And so that also makes my life a lot easier. Now I can qualify for a loan on my own. And so hoping yep. that this year is going to be the next one i'm looking into some cash flowing turnkey rentals out of state and i think that's my next move nice so you would probably not do another live-in flip or would you do it again if you could oh no oh wait did i lose you are we back oh yeah you're back there we go sorry <laughs> <laughs> what was that would you do another live-in flip or would you look for, you said something turnkey out of state? Yeah. Yeah. I would do another live and flip. I would definitely do some things differently next time. I learned a lot from this one. Elaborate, I, elaborate for us. Yeah. yeah. I just, oh, do I have you guys still? Yep. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So I, Got a GC for the side that I have the midterm rental in. And I learned a lot through that. There are a lot of different things I learned there. And I decided to self-manage on my side over here, 
which had a lot of benefits to it. But then it also just at the end of the day, I'm not a licensed GC. And so it also just took me some realizing of there's definitely still a lot that I don't know. And you don't know what you don't know. And so there's just some things there that I would have been doing a little bit differently. And I was just so sick of my GC, honestly, by the time I was done, then I was like, I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> but then that was probably a little too aggressive of a shift to do it all myself. And yeah, I think if I could have done found, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think if I, if I could have found somewhere a little bit more in the middle, that probably would have been... Um, the best of both worlds, ideally. But yeah, at the end of the day, a renovation in general, just no, no matter what strategy you do, it takes a lot of time. Even if you get a GC managing the whole thing for you, you still have to manage your GC. And that's really what I learned. And at the end of the day, I would do another one. But what I realized is the second that I stopped dealing with the renovations. My wholesaling business took off once I wasn't putting all my energy into my renovation. And so yep. I just realized, holy cow, could I have been doing this well in my wholesaling business all this time? And I just haven't even been able to realize this potential because I've been splitting my time. And so right now I've just decided that I'd rather keep putting that energy into my wholesaling business and building that. And, and it just makes more sense to go turnkey for now while I'm still in this kind of critical time and building my business. And that's why I'm going turnkey on my next one. Would I do a live and flip again in the future? Sure. But I just don't think now is the time. So, yeah, I think everybody's been there. That was my first rental. I said, Hey, it was, it was right at the beginning of COVID. I had just gotten displaced from my job and I was like, Hey, I can do a renovation. I did that entirely myself. And it was like four months long. And I was like, wow, I could have been doing this could have been two months long, so much easier. But I think every has to, I think it's a rite of passage kind of thing. You okay. eventually go to the, towards the point where you're not working on the properties anymore and you're more in that management role. But it's also, hey, then you have the experience, you know, how to talk to contractors, you know, what to, what is needed to be done. I think it makes it a lot easier. But yeah, everybody gets to a point where you're not the one changing the toilet any longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was like my thing when I bought my house. I was like, I don't know how to do shit. I don't want to do shit. I want it to be turnkey. And that's what I got. I got, I paid for a house. It was probably a little bit higher than I wanted my budget to be, but like, I don't have to do any renovations and just being able to move in and get tenants in has been pretty nice. There's yeah. so much to say, especially when it's going to be a primary. There's so much to say about just having a calming safe happy place to come home to at the end <laughs> day just for your mental health and like how much that can help you just again in your business and in your focus and in every other aspect of your life and sometimes that's just worth it instead of the like little bit of extra equity you will get from <laughs> yeah. doing a bunch of renovations and just hating coming home to a dusty dirty place without a kitchen every night did you have that did you experience <laughs> that did you have a dusty dirty kitchen i oh my gosh so i <laughs> had gone away on a trip and pretty much everything was done but not clean at all but it was done except for these like very minor little plumbing things. And so I went on away on a trip and I told my plumber, you have all of this time. Here's everything that needs to be done. It shouldn't be more than a half day's work, but you've got all four days. So just pick and choose whenever you can come. But this needs to be done when I get back because I'm moving in when I get back. And I came back and it, I 
it wasn't done. I didn't have running water. Like I was just like couch surfing for days. And then I think about a week I was just couch surfing on my friend's couches until this guy actually came and got the work done. And then when I finally did move in, like I had to shift everything. And so I didn't get my cleaners in time and it was like a full construction zone. And I got sick because I was probably like just inhaling so much dust for like 48 (laughs) hours, but that's all it took. And it was just, a disaster everything was a disaster yeah so the but my rent my lease was up like that i was renting before this and so my lease i had nowhere else to go and it was yeah it was chaos very stressful yeah this yeah. real estate is not all butterflies and rainbows in fact most of the time it is not butterflies and rainbows gosh <laughs> no yeah oh my gosh no yeah Well, just backing up a little bit, just for kind of our listeners that may not really be familiar with it or know what it is, you said that you're medium-term renting or mid-term renting that other side. Can you explain exactly what that entails and, you know, what kind of strategy that is? Yeah, so medium-term, widely considered that 30-day to six-month range, I would say. It's becoming more and more popular in Denver and places with Airbnb regulations, I would say, just because in Denver, we have that rule that if you want to Airbnb something, it has to be your primary residence. But that's just for short-term rentals. And so short-term ends at 30 days. So as long as you're north of that, you just don't have nearly as much regulation. You don't have to get that specific life. And so it really helps for that, but you're still going to get, in most cases, a good chunk more than long-term rent. So you still have to furnish it Typically, you're still paying utilities and things like that. A lot of people like it all to just be lumped in as one kind of set price like Airbnb. But a lot of the time, the budget is a lot higher because it's that short term, it's shorter term, it's furnished, all of that. So it's just this nice middle ground. I would say it's most common for things like people like traveling professionals, travel nurses, things like that is who it caters to. But especially now with COVID, There's so many people who are working remote and just bouncing around. And I think a lot of us with medium term rentals are getting those types of people as well who are just road tripping across America. They can work from anywhere. And so they're just bouncing around. And there's a lot of that, too. And it's definitely become a lot more popular, I think, with COVID. And so it's becoming a lot more popular for people to do that strategy because you can make two times, sometimes two and a half times more medium term than you would long term. And it's just a cool way to to work that middle ground. Yeah. What is the current rent that you have for your duplex for the one side of your duplex that you are charging for a medium term rental? Does it depend or? Yeah. So I've done it for about a year now. I'm just shy of a year. And so I was still playing it with it throughout the seasons too there was definitely a really hot time in the summer it's a two bed one bath it's 900 square feet and it is all brand new i did completely renovate it it's got in unit laundry all of that good stuff a yard and i do allow dogs all of that stuff (laughs) and and in the summer i was pretty consistently getting about four grand to 42.50 and that and i think they were even paying a little bit more than that because it was on airbnb so that's not even really including the all the airbnb fees and things like that they were paying so typically that unit could probably get somewhere between 
two grand to 2250. So yeah, it's pretty consistently about two times more. The winter it slowed down a smidge. I had to play with it a bit more and it was getting closer to that probably 3,500 mark. So I, I had to play around with it a bit, but yeah. That's awesome. That more than covers your mortgage, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. Especially in the summer, that was for sure covering it. And then even when it's at that 3,500 range, now that I have my roommate in here, I'm set usually. So nice. that has been nice. Yeah. Uh, living for free. <laughs> Woo! That's the great thing about house hacking, right? Oh, yeah. And then I was also going to ask, do you have issues with the people that come and stay there? Or are, for the most part, is it the business professionals that are traveling and you don't have issues with clients? And what is like the actual management for you with a midterm rental? Yeah, I think so. Thankfully, I haven't had anyone who's just been like a nightmare and trashed the place. And I think part of that is because, yes, you travel traveling professionals tend to, to, I don't know, just be more careful about the place. It's not like someone renting it for the weekend who's just likely to party the whole time and trash it. And so there's that, but then also they're living there for a little bit. And so if they trash it, they'd have to live in it. And people just respect it a lot more, which has been very nice. I've definitely gotten some really weirdly like picky people, like things that I just, you know, you think you cover all your bases. You think you have everything that everyone needs and then someone comes up with something where you're like really they want a spiralizer or something yeah you're like fine like i'll send one on amazon or something or i'll go pick it up but yeah so there that i would say has been my biggest issue which if that's my biggest issue i'm happy it's fine people being too picky and me just having to get little things here and there is whatever but yeah thankfully no one who's just absolutely destroyed it i do allow pets and so there has been some times where the cleaners like really got to get in there to get rid of all the hair Mm -hmm. but yeah other than that not too bad and management on my part i have a cleaning company and i charge a cleaning fee and that's not out of pocket for me necessarily it's just i charge a smidge more than what my cleaner charges me to the guests just that's just a hack that i think most airbnb hosts do just to also chip in for things like toilet paper soap and things like that you have to restock on and then yeah i just make sure that the cleaner's there on time and then if anything is wrong or they have any concern then i have to address it but for the most part i don't really hear from anyone from the time of check-in to check out so yeah that's really nice because they're in there for 30 days plus or two months or whatever and if you don't have to do any management how much time do you feel like you say you'd spend managing adjusting the price organizing the cleaners on that unit yeah i wouldn't say more than an hour to a week it's yeah it's very minimal which is nice unless something really big and scary were to come up which knock on wood it hasn't yet but <laughs> yeah it's yeah, like, I'm all <laughs> trying to find something <laughs> yeah yeah i just thankfully i would say and the other nice thing is especially if you get someone for that three to four month range you really don't have to worry about it for a while and usually you what i've noticed is usually right when someone's settling in that's when all of the like all of the things are going to come out hey i noticed it doesn't have this and i want it or hey here's this question i have about this and usually you clear all of those things in the first day or two and then don't have to worry about it so that's just plan on is the day or two after check-in plan to get a message and after that it's usually pretty chill nice. that's awesome 
Yeah. So yeah, I guess stepping forward, I guess a little bit, what kind of pushed you into this financial freedom, financial independence world and where do you see it going? Do you have a a why or an end goal? Where where do you want to be in let's say five years? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Initially it was definitely my love of travel that pushed me into it. I studied abroad one summer in college. And then again, after I graduated, I went to Europe for a few months and then lived in Australia. I I just got the bug. I love to travel. I'm addicted. And I just had this feeling of there's got to be a way where I don't have to wait until I'm retired to do this all the time. Like two Mm -hmm. weeks PTO every year is not going to be enough for me. I'm way too hooked for that. That's not going to work. And so there's got to be a way where, but I'm also a very driven person. I grew up in athletics. I'm remarkably competitive. I'm very driven. I was raised in that whole mindset of you have to work for what you want. And and so those two mindsets were really colliding of I, I want to be successful and I want to work hard and I want to make money. And, and I know the importance of investing young and all of that. But then I was also like, but I also would love to travel a month or two every year. And yeah. so I was like, gosh, like, there has to be a middle ground. And when I found real estate, it was just all the light bulbs going off of this is the middle ground. Like I can bust my butt when I am in work mode and when I am in Denver and really grind and have this unlimited potential of income. But when I do want to leave and check out, I can do that. And I have the freedom to do that. And so it really has just so far been everything I wanted it to be and more. As I build it, I still would love that freedom in the short term again, mostly just to to travel and, and have the flexibility to not be tied down to a job. In the long term, it starts becoming more about a family and visiting my family and friends and having the ability to spend time with them and all of that. Um, in the long term, that's where I see it. But for right now, it's more so just enjoying my youth while I'm young. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you have some amazing trips planned too this year like you already got your like schedule figured out like share with us where are you going this year yeah oh i'm so excited i am <laughs> going to chile and i'm hiking patagonia for a bit in february for about half of february so i'm taking off for that soon i'm very excited I also have a trip with my company. They have reward trip if you were the top 20 agent nationwide. And I'm very thankful I made that mark in 2022. And so I'm going on that trip and we're going to the Florida Keys in April where I've never been. So I'm super excited for that. And then I also plan to go back to Australia at the end of this year because my time there got cut short with COVID. So hoping to make Mm -hmm. a trip out there at the end of this year and just see some of the places I didn't get to see since it ended so, so abruptly for me. So yeah, that's all the ones in the cards and I'm sure others will pop up knowing me, but I'm sure didn't Chile just kind of pop up for you too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I booked that a few weeks ago and yeah, I had four months or four weeks to prepare for a 50 mile hike. So I've been hitting the stair stepper pretty frequently, just trying to get ready for that. (laughs) 
Oh, that's so yeah, awesome yeah. though that like you are in this career and you have this investment portfolio that is self-sustaining where you can go take a trip for how long are you gone two weeks three weeks patagonia is only going to be about 10 days but then australia i'm hoping is going to be more so in the four week mark is what i'm aiming for so we'll see. but it's not like yeah. that limit of you got two weeks pto you can grind it out in this business and wholesale a bunch of houses, make good money in like a short period of time, but also still invest in real estate, have passive income through house hacking and midterm renting, and then go travel like whenever you you find the time. So I just am really inspired by that. That's one of my big goals this year is to, I think we had also talked about this travel to Thailand. And so- Oh yeah. Got to find out the time to do that. And then I also know I'll be at Bigger Pockets Conference again in Florida. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love to go to that again. That's in October. (laughs) And then have trip to Yosemite. And it's like all of these fun things that you get to do while we're still young. But we have this ability to do it because we have this mindset of working hard, but also leveraging assets to help build our wealth. Yeah. And I think I find I find that with most people in the real estate investment world or just the investment world in general. They are all these really driven people that really push themselves, but they also want to enjoy what they're doing. So it's not a and or kind of question. It's definitely on the and side. And you just do what you need to do to be able to live the lifestyle that you want. But like, none of us are just going to quit and go sit Mai Tais on the beach somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not the goal. We're all no. still going to be probably in the next for a long time at least probably yeah. Yeah. yeah i don't know yeah 10 years, no, exactly years. yeah because at the end of the day i yeah all of us would get way too bored if we just stopped working all together but it's yeah. the freedom to not be tied to our work when we want to take off and take a break we can when we want to be on we can and that's where it's at that's that's mm. a spot Sweet. We are going to hop into our five questions that we ask every single person on the podcast. I hope you had some time to think about them. Sent it to you like an hour ago. Oh, okay. Here we go. Let's go. Yeah. All right, Kim, what is your favorite content to digest that helps you develop your mindset and be a successful investor? Yeah, for me, it changes with my mood and where I'm at and all of that. But right now, I would definitely say books. I love reading and especially with if I have a very specific thing I want to learn about, you can just find a book specifically on that and binge it and and learn so much from that. And that has has definitely been mine lately. And And what book? Oh gosh, there's so many. Yeah, I most recently it's long distance real estate investing because that's what I'm looking into doing. And so I've been just starting that and really grinding into that and taking all the notes of how to do it because that's the goal this year. And so awesome. that one's been really handy, I would say. But Sweet. there's so many. There you go. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And second question, what is one actionable item you would recommend to somebody who wants to do what you are doing? Yeah, that one, I would say that one, I would say to just really not be afraid to pick up the phone. I think that's what holds a lot of people back. And a big part of wholesaling and what I'm doing is getting told no a lot, like a lot. And you're just going to have to accept that. And the biggest way to get over that fear of being told no is just to get told no a lot and then you get over it. And so I would just say, pick up the phone, put yourself out there and 
or like for the networking events too. That's another really big way that I have learned so much in this industry and met so many awesome people. The more broad thing would just be put yourself out there, whether that's a networking event, whether that's talking to strangers, whether that's picking up the phone, just put yourself out there because that is just the absolute quickest way to to get things moving for you. And you just can't be scared because you're going to be told no. So if you just accept that and get over it, then you're going to do a lot better, a lot faster. Yeah. Love that. And who's the person that has made the like biggest impact on your life, the most important person on your success team, or just a person who you're very thankful for in your life? Yeah. Specifically with my wholesaling team, I would say my managers have been awesome. All the people who trained me did such a good job. I feel like I just am so thankful to all of them for teaching me how to do it so quickly and helping me get off my feet so fast. We also have a transaction coordinator in our office who is just a godsend because she handles all of the things that I don't want to and I'm able to actually fully put everything into the important things, which is going and finding the properties instead of the things like paperwork that could just slow me down. Very thankful for her and all the time she saves me. And yeah, she's a rock star. Yeah, I'll second that one, especially. Shout out, <laughs> to, go my yeah. Shout out to TCs <laughs> everywhere. You save our lives. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Probably could still not close a transaction without them <laughs> yeah. if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they don't get enough appreciation, but no, wow. Not shout at all. out. Yeah. yeah, they're the best. They're, yeah. <laughs> and all right, next one. What is your favorite area of investing and why? Yeah. So obviously the one I do full-time is wholesaling, but one that I don't, I'm not even in this yet. So maybe this is the controversial thing to say, but I love the idea of landlords doing section eight. I think there is just so much money to be made in that space while also doing so much good. And mm -hmm. I just love that. It's really important to me to find a way to mix those two things and make sure I'm really helping people in my business. And I think being a really awesome ethical Section 8 landlord can do that. So while I'm not doing it yet, it's definitely a goal in the future. And I love the people who are doing that. So I would oh, say there that. We go. Love it. And then finally, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, I would say Instagram is probably the easiest. I'm always checking that. I'm at KimmyJ06. So K-I-M-Y-J-06. And yeah, I'm always on there checking it. So if anyone wants to hit me up, that's the place. There we go. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kim. That was amazing. <laughs> Lots of wealth <laughs> yeah. of knowledge in there, especially about wholesaling. It's yeah, it's something that I've never explored myself. I work with wholesalers in my business as well. So we're very grateful for you guys. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know crap about it. So I was just <laughs> a lot today. Thank you. Oh, good. I'm so <laughs> glad. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. First podcast. Checked out. There you go. There you go. We get that honor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was my honor. This was very fun. Thank you guys. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to do a intro of or a recap of the episode. Okay. And so you are welcome to hop off now, but we're going to finish the recording. Ben and I just saying what we talked about today. And then we'll probably have the final product. We'll send it to our editors here today. And then we'll probably have it in a month or so. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Just let me know when it's out. I'm excited. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> it's so yeah. fun, dude. It's so much yeah. fun. Dude. I love doing it. It's like we get to spend time together. We get to have a good conversation. We get to talk about stuff that we like. And it's like super laid back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Good for you guys for just going and doing it. I would have no idea where to even begin. We yeah. do neither. We do neither. <laughs> yeah, that's half, the, that's half the gig. I was just throwing yourself into it. So. Putting no. yourself out there, as you said. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Kim. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye, Kim. Bye. <laughs> Hi. Thank you for tuning in to the Stealth Wealth Podcast. You can find out more information in the show notes as well as find our contact information. Please feel free to reach out to either Ben or myself and let us know what you want to hear on the future episodes. As always, your continued support is much appreciated. So please leave us a review and hit that notification button to hear our next episode.